Please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. We're in verse 3 this morning. And as you turn to Hebrews 12, please stand with me and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your unconditional love. Thank you that you're our Father. And we come to you today just desiring to learn from you. We invite you to teach us. We thank you for what you're doing around the world. We pray you would bless the Rourke family, encourage them. Lord, meet us here this morning. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Discipline was very present and formative in my life growing up. I remember being three years old and being in our church nursery. And the church that we went to at the time was a much smaller church. So kids from infancy to age three were all together in one room. And on this particular Sunday, I decided to bite one of the infants. Not what you want to have happen to your beautiful little infant to have a three-year-old come and and chomp on them. So I remember very clearly this nursery and how it was set up. And here's the teacher talking to my dad, giving the information to my dad of what I had just done. There was a long hallway in that children's ministry. I don't know really how long it is, but to the mind of a three-year-old, it is a very long hallway. There was orange carpet at the time. And at the end of this hallway were these double doors, these wood doors with the the push handles to go out. And I remember my dad getting down on his knee, whispering in my ear, son, when we get home, you're getting a spanking. Oh, that long walk down the hallway into the Ford Fairmont, the drive home. And sure enough, I got that discipline that I needed. Fast forward to third grade. These are just a few highlights. Discipline was almost a daily part of of my growing up. So it's now third grade. I went to a small Christian school that our church offered. And at this Christian school, first grade through fifth grade were in one room. And you really worked at your own pace. And in fact, your workbooks were called Paces. You do your work and then you would go to this table in the center of the room that had the answer key where you get all the answers to your work. Well, me being so ingenuitive, let's say, I figured out why work hard when all the answers are right there. I mean, they are there for you. So I went and began cheating with the amount of students that there were. The teacher really only checked your work about once or twice a year. So it came my time, it was the spring, and the teacher was going through my workbooks and I knew that I was busted and I could feel my stomach just starting to turn. So I went to the teacher, I think I need to go to the bathroom, I'm feeling sick. Go to the bathroom, I come back and she's like, the reason that you feel sick is because you cheated. You need to go to the principal's office. And at this little Christian school in Southern Oregon, when you got caught for cheating, you got a spanking. And at that point, either the principal could give it to you or one of your parents could drive to the principal's office and give it to you. But it was going to be administrated in the principal's office. So the principal calls my dad and my dad had a policy. No one spanks the kids except for him and mom. So he leaves his job comes down to the principal's office and I got the rod of correction on the seat of learning from my dad in the principal's (laughs) office. Yes, discipline was very present and formative. Now I'm in eighth grade, my brother's in 10th grade, he's got his driver's license, we asked to go to a movie and we had this all planned out, what movie we were gonna go to that was an approved movie for mom and dad, but we really wanted to go see this R-rated movie that was really 
bad and filthy that my parents didn't approve of that was happening just a few minutes later. So we went to the movie, got away with it. Ah, we covered our tracks. It's now a month later, 30 days later. Sunday afternoon, dad sits me down in the family room and he says, on this and this date, at this and this time, did you go see this movie? Absolutely, I did. I went and saw that movie. Well, why don't you tell me about it? I was prepared for that question. I'd done my research on this movie that we were supposed to go see. So I told him the storyline. Then he looks me right in the eye. says, are you sure that that's what you want to tell me? I'm like, yep, yep. <laughs> and he's like, well, that's not the movie you went. And he called out the movie we did go see, the date and the time. And he said, you're grounded two weeks for going to the movie and another two weeks for lying. I'm like, oh, how in the world did you ever find out? Like, did some family friends see us go into this movie? Or what, what happened here? And he just said, son, parents have their ways. And he didn't tell me till I was in college. Apparently, he had done some of our laundry, and he'd found the movie ticket in our pocket. <laughs> Sin will find you out, won't it? So today, our study is this, divine discipline. It's God's correction. It's God's discipline in our lives. How does God correct us as his children? Let me remind you of where we've been in Hebrews, because it's been a few weeks. The theme of the book of Hebrews is Jesus greater than, that Jesus is our high priest. He's greater than the Old Testament, greater than the law. And it's very important to keep the whole view of Hebrews together when we talk about God's correction, because God's correction is not punitive. It's not God punishing us. It's not God just wanting to administer pain. Jesus took the sacrifice on the cross for our sins. It's paid for. We're forgiven. So it's not that God's angry with us. It's not that God's mad at us. It's important to understand his heart. In chapter 11, we saw this incredible journey of those that have gone before us, the great cloud of witnesses. And then in chapter 12, the first two verses encourages us to run. It applies it to us. Now run your race with your eyes fixed upon Jesus. And as we continue in chapter 12, what slows us down in the race that God has us on, that he's called us to, it's discouragement. We get discouraged. And so this text answers how to deal with discouragement. Let's look at verse three. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. The answer to overcoming discouragement as we're running is where's our perspective? What are we considering? What are we meditating on? And are we meditating upon the suffering of Christ upon the cross and the hostility that he experienced against him, himself? as he took on sin and was punished for our sin. As you think about your week that you've just gone through, where were most of your thoughts directed? On our circumstances, our difficulties, I'm overwhelmed, I don't have the strength to, to be able to do this, how am I gonna get through this week? I need more sleep, how am I gonna get this done? And it is a real spiritual discipline to not put our mind on all of our circumstances, but to put it on Christ, to consider him and all of his sufferings so that we don't become weary, so that we don't become discouraged. In verse four, you've not resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. So if you think you've got it bad, if I think that I've got it bad, we need to think about all that Christ has went through. Have I resisted against sin to the point of shedding for blood? And to be reminded, this is what he's done for me. 
He was sacrificed on the cross for me. We covered verses three and four in more detail in our study prior to this. And we get to now our focus this morning in verse five. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked. He says to the church of Hebrews, you've forgotten this exhortation. So we can get discouraged by our circumstances, but we can also get discouraged when God does correct us, when he brings in that divine discipline, we forget that he's a loving father. So really the heart of these verses this morning is to accurately understand God's discipline in our lives, to not forget this exhortation that comes from Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. There's two responses, two negative responses to discipline. And the first is to despise God's correction. We make light of it. We get angry about it. We start to question God's character because he's bringing this discipline into our lives. You can probably think at times in your life when someone held you accountable and then you got angry at him and you absolutely despised them. And then there's other times where we don't despise God's correction. We just get discouraged by it. We get overwhelmed by it. We go, man, I'm so miserable. I'm the worst Christian who's ever lived. And does God really love me? And we stop journeying with the Lord because we've misunderstood his correction. We've misunderstood that, in fact, it's proof of his love. So we're encouraged to be reminded of this exhortation that comes from Proverbs. The word rebuke, it means to expose, to convict, to reprove. There's times when God in his love, as his children, he just exposes us, doesn't he? How does that look sometimes? Every time we read the word, it's the same topic. Like, okay, God, I'm getting the point. Every time we go to church and hear a sermon, it's the same issue. We turn on the radio, listen to some teaching, listen to a podcast, it's the same thing. Turn on some worship, we're being exhorted in the same way. God's exposing us. Sometimes we're hiding things and God in his love says, I'm going to take what you've been hiding and I'm going to bring it to the light like a movie ticket that's left in your pocket. I thought I'd covered my tracks, but God is rebuking me. He's exposing me. And the word rebuke, it sounds so heavy, doesn't it? It's not really a word that we use very often, but it's with the utmost love and the gentleness and the care of God as he brings that correction into our lives. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. If you're taking notes this morning, there's four things I want to highlight on discipline. And the first is this. Discipline displays love. Discipline displays love. The scripture says, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. The very nature of correction implies love. If you really love someone and you really care for someone and you see them doing something that's going to destroy them, you're going to attempt to bring boundaries to keep them from going in that destructive way. Our culture doesn't believe this, right? Our culture says if you love somebody, you just let them do whatever they want because there really is no right or wrong. So how could we even begin to bring loving correction? There's no wrong. Just, just, just go for it. So if I love you, I'm just going to let you do whatever you seem to think is good. But God says that he loves us And he knows what's good, he knows what's bad, and so if he sees us going in a destructive way, then he's going to bring that corrective discipline upon us. It's displaying the Lord's love. God disciplines those that he loves. 
depending on what experience you had with your parents, maybe the only kind of discipline that you experienced was negative. Your parents were angry, they're shouting at you, they're throwing things, they're hitting you, they're abusing you. So you think of discipline and the most absent thing that you think of is love. And that's not God's heart. And that's not the way that God disciplines. Think of everything that you know about God. He's a loving creator. He gave his son for you. You're his son, you're, you're his daughter. And the love that he's displaying by bringing that discipline into your life. If there's no discipline, if there's no line, there's no boundary, that's a very dangerous place to be, an uncomfortable place to be. If you take a child to a high-rise building, let's say you're on the 15th floor and you go out to the balcony and there is no rail that's there. It's a very dangerous place to be, but it's also a very scary place to be. Actually, the rails, the boundaries, cause you to be able to enjoy that moment. I'd be freaked out on the 15th floor on the balcony without the rail. The rail allows me to be able to enjoy the view. And God in his love for us, right? It's a display of his love. It's a proof of his love that he brings that correction into our lives. It's a challenge for us, I think, in the world that we live in to think biblically, not culturally. We've got to view God's discipline biblically and not just view it culturally. Displays God's love. The word chasten means to train, to correct, to discipline, to instruct, to educate, to disciple. It comes from the root word to instruct a child. The purpose is not just to bring pain, but the purpose is to bring an overall education, instruction, development. So let's look at the rest of verse 6. And scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father doesn't chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Point number two is discipline proves sonship. Discipline proves sonship. In this ancient culture, it was clearly understood, it's a rhetorical question, what father is there that doesn't provide this kind of training and discipline for their child? It was a cultural norm. You even look at the history of the United States of America, you go back to my grandparents' generation, my grandparents, it was understood that you would receive correct, corrective instruction from your parents. But now, just two generations removed, three generations removed, that's not the cultural norm anymore. It's not the understanding. But at this time, it was. And so there's a contrast here. The author of Hebrews is saying, you see fathers disciplining and training their sons, and it proves sonship because you only discipline your children. Now, depending on your personality, if you see a child that's completely out of control, like a toddler at the grocery store or at a restaurant, some of you in your personality are thinking, man, somebody needs to discipline that child. If mom or dad doesn't do it, I'm going to do it for them. Look out, here I come, right? And those are the thoughts that you're battling in, in that moment. And then others of you, because you have a different personality, you have a different gift, gifting, so you go, you know what, man, I'm having a hard enough time disciplining my own child. There's no way I'd want to discipline that kid right there. I'm just going to stick with my own kids. And I'm, in fact, I'm going to pray for this mom right now. I'm going to pray for this dad. I understand how difficult it is to be in that situation. But here's the point. I got four kids. I only discipline those four kids. If I were over in Starbucks and there was a three-year-old that was biting an infant 
And then I went and got on my knee and said, I'm going to take you in the car and give you a spanking. <laughs> you know, I'd be like, freak, where is this guy? Where is he coming from? You know, there's no way that you could do that because they don't belong to me. They're, they're not my, my children. And so this is for our encouragement. If God is disciplining you, it's proof that you belong to him. Some of you are now wrestling, am I the child of God? Because I'm not sure if God disciplines me. Satan's always trying to use the word of God in a condemning way. So in which ways does God bring this instruction, bring this training, bring this discipline? I think first and foremost through the word of God. This is the easiest place to learn. It's a lot easier than going through the hard knocks of mistake in our lives. Have you ever been reading the word of God and had God use his word to convict you? If that's the case, it's evidence that you're the child of God because God cares enough for you to wrestle with your heart. Also, the scripture tells us that we grieve the Holy Spirit as believers. What does that look like? Spirit lives inside of me and so the spirit then sees my actions, my attitudes and says, oh, Eric, you can't act that way. You're grieving me. You're breaking my heart. Your pride is ugly. It's it's gross. And the Spirit of God begins to weigh heavy upon our hearts. It's powerful. The Spirit of God can do more in a moment than we can do in a lifetime. When we're not walking with the Lord and we're not in that place that we should be, the Spirit of God is reaching out to our hearts. As believers, if we're engaged in sexual sin, then God's Spirit's saying, no, I've got something better for you. If we're engaging in anger and we're losing our temper, the Spirit of God's saying, oh, think before you speak. Think before you speak and blow up. Oh, I should have thought before I spoke. It's grieving of the Holy Spirit. So God uses his word. He uses the Holy Spirit. He uses natural consequences from our decisions. We make some bad financial decisions. We get the fruit of it. And so God says, all right, here's an opportunity to learn and do it differently next time. Have you ever had God speak to you through natural consequences? It's proof that you're the child of God. We make relational decisions. Oh, that didn't go very well. I see the fruit of just what happened there. So I'm gonna change course here a little bit. We make spiritual decisions and we see the fruit of those as well. God brings natural consequences. Not everything that happens in our lives is God's discipline. It's important to bring that up and and understand that sometimes God just allows trials in our lives. Job wasn't in sin and, and receiving God's correction. He was just simply doing his life walking with the Lord and he experienced trials. And so don't think that, well, because the car broke down, God's disciplining me. It's looking at, yeah, this is a natural consequence of a sinful choice that, that I make. I can see that that's the hand of God's discipline, but not every circumstance is necessarily God's discipline. Be encouraged. It's a, it's a proof of the fact that you belong to God. It shows that unique relationship that you have with the Lord. Verse 9, furthermore, we have human fathers who correct us and we paid them respect shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? A parent, a coach, a boss, a teacher, a professor, some kind of human authority that you showed respect to, how much more so should we show respect to the father who has created our spirit? The father of spirits and live. We're putting God in that proper place We're realizing, Lord, I'm going to respect you. I'm going to respect your loving correction that you bring in my life. We don't have to fear 
God's wrath. Jesus took the wrath for us, but we don't want to do anything to hurt God's heart. And we also have to understand that God loves us enough where he can bring those consequences into our lives. It's putting God in that proper place, that fear of the Lord. Verse 10, for they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. So parents, fathers, moms and dads, they provide this corrective discipline as what seems best to them. Any parents in the house today? Ever made any mistakes in trying to bring this corrective discipline? I'm going to share one of ours with you. We fail at this. We fall short. We do what seems best to us. Eileen, our third daughter, she turned four just about a year ago. Her birthday is March 10th. We always make chocolate cake in our house. Amber makes a really good chocolate cake for birthdays. And if we have a party with friends and extended family, we always have a little party with just us, the six of us. So we had our little family party, had this chocolate cake, and there was some cake left over. Now it's the next morning, March 11th. We get up, and the cake has clearly been gotten into in not an orderly fashion. <laughs> Feasting on the cake. So get the four kids, say, hey, all right, guys, did you get into the cake? No, dad, I didn't get in the cake. Are you sure? Are you sure that's what you want to tell me? <laughs> yeah. No, dad, I didn't get in the cake. No, dad, I didn't get into the cake. Well, now you're lying because the cake's gone. Who else would eat the cake? So they all received some discipline. Then about a half an hour later, we see that there's chocolate on the wall. And we start to think a little bit more through this. And the kids are a little bit better at... at cleaning up their tracks. They don't just want to leave chocolate on the wall. That would be a clear giveaway. And we go check out the dog, and the dog had eaten the cake. (laughs) Our dog is 165 pounds. She's a Newfoundland. It's easy for her to hop up onto the counter. We made a mistake, didn't we? The kids took one for the dog. And sometimes you make mistakes as a parent, don't you? Sometimes our motivation is not in the place that it should be as we try to bring this discipline and correction. But this is a contrast with God. Our inability shows God's ability. When he brings discipline, it's always for our profit. So this is our third point. It's discipline is purposeful. See, this is hopefully to cause encouragement. Okay, God, you're correcting me. You're opposing me in these things that I'm doing. It's purposeful. It's for our benefit. It's painful, but it's purposeful to bring us to where we can be partakers of his holiness. And that's important. Not just holiness in general, but the holiness of Christ. That's the goal of God, is to conform us to the image of Christ, to where we can live holy lives in which he is glorified. We are created to glorify God. God's concerned not with our present comfort, Not with just giving us a comfortable life, but he's conforming my character and your character to the image of Christ. So he's saying, okay, I'm applying this pressure. I'm applying this discipline, this instruction to your life for the purpose of making you holy. Holiness then, the byproduct of holiness is happiness because holiness is wholeness. Not based on our circumstances, but based on who God is. Remember Hebrews 1 says that Jesus hated wickedness and he loved righteousness, so he was anointed with gladness above all of his fellows. Jesus was glad above everybody else who walked the planet because of holiness. Jesus came to give us life and to give it more abundantly. 
And we experience the abundant life as we walk in holiness. So God for our profit is, is training us. And we take comfort in that as we're going through his hand of correction in our lives. And verse 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Can I get an amen? amen? Nobody loves this in any fashion of life. It's terrible to receive. It's terrible to give. It's hard. It's difficult. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Please hear this, church. Rocky Mountain Calvary is godly discipline is effective to those who are willing to be trained by it. It yields something. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Righteousness in our lives then brings about peace. This is a side note. This is not the primary reason for this text, but I want to take the side note because there is this illustration of parents with, with children. As Christian parents, We need to look to God's word of how we raise and we train our kids. And there's an important element of discipline in their lives with instruction. First, I want you to think about it this way. This was shared with me years ago, and it's helped me a lot. It's the checkbook theory when it comes to relationships. If all you're making is withdrawals in your checking account, you're going to get in a lot of trouble, aren't you? You've got to be making some deposits And hopefully you're depositing more than you're withdrawing. And with kids, it's not just about the corrective discipline. It's a portion of it, but we also have to be making relational deposits in the lives of our kids. So that means complimenting them, spending time with them, giving appropriate amount of affection, praying for them, sharing with them about God's word, just the overall pouring into their lives. We're making those deposits. Then when we have to make a withdrawal, which is discipline, kids don't see it as going, oh, thank you so much for giving me this discipline, dad. That is such a blessing. Then when we have to make that withdrawal, there's a deposit there that then we can make that withdrawal and give that loving discipline. It's the hardest thing that you'll ever do as a parent, no matter the age of your children, to enter into this text, to enter into these truths and say, if I love them, part of showing them love is to give them loving, corrective discipline. Do a study through Proverbs and see how many times the book of Proverbs mentions this. So then I think we're a little bit lost Wouldn't it be nice as soon as your kids were born if they just came with a nice manual? I mean, you even get a vehicle with an owner's manual. But kids, they just send you home from the hospital. Your first child, and you're like, oh, this is really cool, but what do I do? Then they get a little bit older, and they start to defy you. You're like, this little bundle of joy is yelling and screaming at me, no. And it happens so early, you know? Get to 18 months. I don't know why it is, but it seems like at 18 months, the little clock ticks and this little guy is looking at you going, no, you know? And you've realized now that they've got their war paint on. These little toddlers, everybody says terrible twos. No, they're just warming up for three. I think three is the worst year because they're just getting all their tools together, their arsenal together for three. And you're left as a a parent now, what am I going to do, you know? Am I going to let them rule the roost? Am I going to let them just think that this is the kind of behavior that, that then they, they should do? And if we don't have a plan, we're going to handle it in a sinful way. We're going to handle it in anger. 
We're going to discipline in an ungodly way and do more damage. And the scripture says, spare the rod and spoil the child. That's what the Proverbs tells us. And I think there's a place for a corrective, loving spanking. I'm not talking about abuse. A child should never be abused. If you're angry, you should never attempt to spank a child. It's better not to spank than to spank in anger. If you have been abused and experienced inappropriate discipline, that is not what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. Why why a rod? Why a spoon? Why a, a little spanking paddle? Because the hand is not something you want to associate with pain in the life of your child. When I, when I touch my kids with my hand, I want them to think of love. I don't want them to, to think of, of, of correction. So I think that's why God instructs us with a rod. I think it's wise to have a location in your home where spankings occur, like in mom and dad's bedroom. So a child is defying your will. They're disobeying you. They're rebellious. And they're this little guy, you know, three years old. And you say, go up to mom and dad's room. Gives you a chance to cool down. Then you come in and a child should always know why they're getting spanked. I love you, and you know what? You're being disobedient right there and really disrespectful. And God's word tells me that I need to correct you. And so this is why you're getting spanked. Three little spankings on the bottom. The way God's created us, there's a lot of extra padding there that can take it. You, you've got it, you know, your, your temper can't get the best of you. It's three swats. Every time you give them the sweet three swats, and then the purpose for the pain is for repentance and reconciliation of the relationship, where then hopefully the child's like, Dad, Mom, I'm sorry, and you're able to hug them and embrace them, and it becomes a very beautiful thing. And then as the child grows, you obviously, they grow out of that season of getting spankings, and then you come with more creative discipline into their lives. But parents, it's our job. It's our job, whatever method that you choose, you need to be in agreement with your spouse if, if you're married, but to enter in to say, you know what, it works. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. We're seeing a society where there's no godly discipline, right? It's not even a part of our structure. We're just going hog wild. And we go, okay, Lord, you've given us these children to train them. And part of that is those loving consequences. Let's look at the end of verse 11. It says, to those who have been trained by it. And this is point number four. Is discipline requires reception. It's a two-way street. So God, now back to the main point of his relationship with us, he provides the loving correction. He speaks through his word, through his Holy Spirit, through consequences. Our choice then is, will we be trained by it? Will we be taught? This word trained in the Greek, it speaks of an athlete that's being trained by agony. An athlete pushes their body to a certain point and mentally they realize, okay, I can keep going forward. I can even go beyond, beyond this point. And the same way as God begins to discipline us and bring that correction into our lives for us to receive it and to be trained by it. You think of when you touch the stove and it's hot and you get burned, it's an important part of learning. The agony brought about learning. And some personalities, they only have to touch the stove once. And they learn, it's hot, I don't ever want to do that again. And then other personalities, they do it once and they go, hmm, I wonder if that's true all the time or if that was just kind of a weird deal. So let me just, oh, ha, surprise. It, I got burned again. And well, I'm gonna do it a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time. And now they just leave their hand right on the hot, on the stove. Look at the flesh, it burns. 
And the outsider's going, when are you going to learn? You know, like when are, when are you going to get to the point where you get trained by the instruction that God is giving? And we want to have a sensitive heart to the correction of our father. God's going to start gentle. Hey, Eric, I want your attention. Hey, Eric, listen to me. Okay, you're blowing me off. And then God's going to increase to get my attention. In Psalms 32, it says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding what must be harnessed with a bit and bridle, else they will not come near to you. God's intent is to instruct us with his eye. Going back to our relationship with our parents, we've probably all had that experience with our mom, where mom gives us the eye, right? Normally you're out in public, you're out at somebody's house and you're starting to misbehave and mom does this. You know? But it's all in a look. It's all coming from here, you know? There's no hand gestures. She's just communicating with her eyes. You better knock it off. You and me, we're gonna go right now. I don't care where we are. You're going down, young man, right? And then wisdom, you in, get instructed from the eyes. You, you, you get what mom's saying. You're like, okay, it's time to quit messing around, quit dorking around. I, I'm going to obey. But also there's times where our parents instructed us with our eyes in a positive sense. Where maybe it was a basketball game. And your parents are sitting up in the bleachers. And they look down and they, they're just proud of you. Oh, I, I just love you. You know? You can see it in their eyes. They're putting you to bed at night and you're a young child and you didn't even do anything. You know, you didn't do anything to deserve it. You're just their kid and they just look at you and they, with those eyes of love and they're guiding us with their eyes, aren't they? So it's not always negative and sometimes it, it's positive and that's the kind of relationship that God wants with us. That our heart's so sensitive towards him we can just look to his face through his word and through worship. We can look to his eyes and oh God, I'm grieving your heart. Oh, Lord, thank you for that affirmation that I'm going in the right direction. But it's that sensitivity to be led by the Lord. But there's another way to be led, isn't there? And that's with the horse or the mule. Most horses and mules, you can't just look at them and communicate. Like, come on over here, it's time to eat, right? And if a horse is stubborn, then you have to harness them. You have to get out the bit and the bridle to get them to come near to you. And that's not the way that we want to be instructed by the Lord. A few more verses and we'll be done. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. So in response to God's correction, instead of getting discouraged, we get encouraged. Verse 12 is saying, run strong, run tough, be tough. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't go through life with your knuckles hanging off the ground. Well, I can't believe that God's bringing correction in my life. Stand up straight. God loves you. He loves you enough to bring correction into your life. Don't have feeble knees. Have strong knees. Get running again. We can always respond in discouragement or we can respond in, wow, God, I'm so thankful that you love me enough to correct me. Now I'm going to move forward. And verse 13 really encourages us now to put these things into place and make straight paths for feet so that which is lame may not be dislocated but rather healed. We're at a crossroads this morning in our lives. 
we can make a straight path. This is also interpreted a level path. A level path is easier to run on, to walk on, to navigate. All of these sinful choices is making for an unlevel path, for a crooked path. And God's saying, make straight paths. What's the issue that God's dealing with us on this morning in our own lives? Are we going to respond to that and say, okay, I've got to repent. I've got to make a straight path. I can't continue in this way. I need to listen to the word, to listen to the the Holy Spirit, partake in, in holiness. And then what's lame can either become dislocated to where it doesn't function or it can be healed. And I love this in verse 13 is it's not that God's pointing things out in our lives apart from him being the solution. Does that make sense? So he's saying, look, this is broken in your life, Eric, but I want to come and heal you. I want to come and deal with this area of your life. You can't fix yourself. I can't fix myself. Jesus is the great physician. So we respond in brokenness, repentance, changing of direction, but we depend upon him to bring the healing into our lives. This is what makes God so great. This is a loving father. Is he's bringing the discipline, but he himself is the solution. It's his touch in our lives. Coming in and hearing this message, I'm sure that there's for some of you that it's the perfect time. Prior to getting here, God's been wrestling with you. Maybe it's been a wrestling match for five years, 10 years, maybe five weeks, but you know. Some of you as believers, you're, you're living in an area of sin. God's saying, I love you. I don't want you doing your life that way. It's time to make a change. No, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. And today's the day to yield. Will you yield? You know. You know the area. And then others, as you've been listening to this whole message, you've kind of given yourself the get out of jail free card. You've given your pass on this section of scripture. You're going, you know, I I wish my son was here. Or I wish my friend was here. This would have been a great message for my spouse or my coworker. Or it's about time that somebody said something about disciplining kids. I'm so tired of kids being un- unruly. And God's saying, wait a second. I want to get a hold of your heart. There's areas of, of your life that you're not aware of. As I've been teaching this message this weekend and preparing and being in this section of scripture, God's been convicting my heart, been speaking to me in areas that he's bringing discipline into my life, things that I need to to pay attention to. Let's make this our prayer as we close. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts of how much you love us? And part of your love is your commitment to train, to instruct, to disciple, to bring those loving consequences. So right now, God, would you search us? Would you know us? Would you try us? Reveal things to us that we don't see, that we're not aware of. May we not be afraid of your corrective hand, but to be able to be trained by it, to respond to it. We admit we need you to heal us. We need you to transform us and change us. 
Father, for believers that have been wrestling with you for some season in some area of their life. And they feel the conviction. They feel the weight of the Holy Spirit speaking to them. And Lord, today may it be that moment of breaking, that moment of turning. We know that refreshment comes and repentance and being restored with you. For those that don't know you, that haven't come to surrender their heart and life to Christ, we pray that you would show that need.